This is Film Tank. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. We're going to make film history. Can you say that again? Just the way you say it. Baby, it's time to lose their head. They won't know what they're looking at, but why they like it, but they'll know they want it. everyone and welcome into episode 251 of our little podcast here called film tank as per usual alex deekman here with you along with my good friends nick cheney and anna bodizadu hello yay how's it going guys good how about you guys good solid back uh, back in the quarantine mode pretty much i mean not really because myself and uh you know i, I don't know anyone personally that uh is 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 positive right now but that uh, that's really the way that uh, the country's been going here recently unfortunately ain't that the truth well yes. as, as time has gone on there have been cuter and cuter masks ready for purchase so that's true Capital. i mean isn't that the most important thing <laughs> we'll be ready for the next one <laughs> i guess i'll say whatever it takes at this point to get people to wear the fucking mask i mean yeah i'm i'm like i i would say i'm tired of hearing about it but only because people just cannot get with the program it's true and it's amazing considering the fact that at my work we sell masks and um, to, I mean, businesses that really, really need them. And um, the the orders keep keep coming in. So places are still buying them. Hopefully the customers are actually buying them. So. I mean, in general, I feel like people, I mean, most people, not everybody, but people are aware in the workplace that if you are in common areas that you've got to wear it and like people in that have to be places or other common public places like grocery stores obviously or airports or whatever but i don't know like the places that complain the most about being closed down just do not have any interest in conforming so i don't know yeah yeah could be better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We could all be better. And not during times of a pandemic. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's been obviously a lot of stuff that's happened this year. So it's not just COVID, but um, it's obviously a big part of it. So. Yeah. Been unique, but um, also, as I said, when we started doing uh, episodes, um, not in the studio back in March, April. Um, I, I'm really happy that we have this and have the ability to still do this um, frequently and regularly 
even though we can't get together in person. So uh, I feel really lucky for that. Yeah, it's uh, in a weird way. This is the pandemic is probably responsible for me starting a second podcast. So <laughs> just yeah. because I was because I thank learned... God for COVID. I know, right? Thank God, <laughs> all those sacrifices <laughs> worth it. Uh, <laughs> no, but forcing myself to actually learn how to record it, uh, kind of all internally instead of externally, and buying a microphone for at home use. I'm like, well, I guess now I have a setup. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on your second podcast name, so I'm sorry, but I, I am also kind of giving you a plug opportunity here. <laughs> what is it again? Uh, the name of it is Project Exploitation. Okay, and, and and how's that going? You guys have done at least like four or five episodes now, haven't you? We've done four, and we'll do a fifth one uh, next week, yeah. We're doing it very loosey-goosey in that. We're not doing it like weekly. We literally just record one and then we'll say, okay, we'll find the next time to record because they're all old movies, so it doesn't matter. Okay, cool. Yep. Well, on this episode, we are going to talk about a film by a director that we just talked about uh, a few episodes ago, which is Antonio Campos. We just talked about not too long ago his uh, most recent film, the film, The Devil All the Time. And on this episode, we're going to be discussing his film from 2016 called Christine. Not to be confused, Anna, with the Stephen King uh, project from quite before 2016. Okay, I know. I know before before, um, this episode was technically planned, like we were talking about this movie to begin with, but like had I not remembered that that was the context, I easily would have been like, oh yeah, the the Stephen King one. So that's that's why I confirmed before I watched the movie, like, not the Stephen King one, right? <laughs> well, it's funny too, because I was uh, messaging with Sam, another friend of the podcast, uh, earlier this week and telling her that we were doing this episode and told her, and I specifically put the year next to uh, the name Christine and saying we were doing this episode uh, this week and she responded oh it's not the Stephen King movie I'm like that's correct so <laughs> maybe they should have went with a different title yeah or maybe Christine Chubbuck should have just had a different name so oh that's that's an opinion Victor, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I've noticed just enough of that during her life <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she would have been better off if her name was Carol. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, the film uh, surrounds the story of Christine Chubbuck, a 1970s television reporter struggling with depression and professional frustrations as she tries to advance her career. So the film, as mentioned, was directed by Antonio Campos, and stars Rebecca Hall as Christine, and also features a cast of some mostly recognizable figures, including Michael C. Hall, who most people would know as Dexter. Uh, Also, Tracy Letts plays the station manager for the most part. And the film also features Timothy Simmons and Maria Dezia. So interesting names there. Uh, This film, uh, if you've listened to older episodes of ours, um, 
was a film that myself and Nick saw at the 2016 Sundance Film Festival, and we definitely talked about it, um, not at length, but uh, probably more than some of the other films we saw at that uh, year's festival, because I absolutely love this film uh, in 2016, and I still do today. Um, and with that being said, I think if that's all right with you guys, I uh, will start us off. Woohoo! Woohoo! <laughs> so, oh uh, no, woohoo means no. Sorry, I don't <laughs> think that was clear. Just kidding. I was gonna say at least at least you clarified, so that's good. <laughs> so. It's such a unique experience, at least for me, since I have not attended many film festivals. In fact, uh, 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 taking away other than theaters that put on smaller showings of multiple films, like this is really the only time I've ever attended a film festival. So, and this is obviously a really major one uh, in the Sundance Film Festival. So yeah, I had a really unique experience seeing this film that I really, really, really like um, for the first time uh, in terms of seeing all of these different films and, and getting all of this information and media in one small five-day window. I mean, I think me and Nick saw 19 films um, at the festival that week. So you're just spending your entire day just watching films, sleeping, converting that to long-term memory and then watching movies again the next day. So it's definitely unique seeing a film that I really, really liked um, and that, and it, I feel like it made it stand out that much more, but um, this is actually the first time I'd watched Christine since 2016, which I was blown away by because I did like it so much back then. Um, and I will say my opinion on this film was confirmed um, and, and I know that a lot of people who have seen this uh, think it's good, but not great. Uh, but for me, there's just something about this film that pushes it way over the top uh, into being a fantastic work by Antonio Campos. Um, firstly, Rebecca Hall is giving a just fabulous performance as Christine. And I feel like I'm not grading her on a curve necessarily, but what I'm what I'm grading her as is that I feel like although I think she's a good actress, I don't think she really has the range to be a powerhouse actress in big films or films that are going to be critically acclaimed. But here I think she definitely plays a caricature in in a way, but not in a horrible, awful, I can't look at the screen because this is so bad way but I think in a way that was actually really, really wonderful and, and gave a very unique and I think honest and sort of very sad look at, at somebody who just was unfortunately uh, in a time period that was really awful um, for anyone who was having some of the problems that she was having in her personal life. So, I really like Rebecca Hall's performance here. And I feel like almost everyone in this film who shows up, and I mean, I guess some of the performances are better than others, but I really like Michael C. Hall. Him being casted as a television anchor, like, I feel like he could have been a television anchor 
in this era because he was fucking perfect as that. I like it's every time he had a clip or a portion of a broadcast that he was on that was shown, it was spot on to what I believed that someone would look like in that time period. And we see the same thing outside of that where he gives this very Anchorman-esque persona off where he's a partier and he's hanging out with women and he's this playboy kind of person. But then obviously we see this different side to him, which is complicated, I would say, as although I think he he thinks he's doing good things and I think his intentions are good, um, he also is really bad at reading the room, I feel like. So there's that. Uh, Tracy Lutz. He can only read the news, not the room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, 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 he he'll read whatever's on the teleprompter, but that's not other people's feelings, obviously. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, Tracy Lutz, who is has slowly over the years become a, a really big favorite of mine um, because he delivers great performances, and I, I know he does other work behind the camera as well. Um, He's great here. He's perfectly cast as the station manager. Um, and even though he does have some parts of his character that are a little boilerplate in terms of some of the line deliveries that he has, um, for the script that he was working with and the character he had to portray, um, I think he did a really great job of towing the line between being a boss and also being a, an archetype of, you need to be the evil person who just is looking for profits in a media company. So... Um, loved all those performances and some of the smaller characters, including Maria Dezia's character of Jean. Um, I thought they were all putting on really strong works. I loved almost all of the cinematographical, cinematographic, eh, that's fine. Cinematography in this film I thought was great. I thought it really captured the landscape of this time period in Florida perfectly, you know, early 1970s or, or late 90s. I can't remember exactly the year that they're supposed to be in. 1974. Um, okay. Yeah, so so mid-1970s. I felt like the, the set design was fantastic. Um, I thought the production design, and this is actually one of the few questions I asked of anyone at Sundance is, uh, I remember, and I don't remember his answer very clearly because I was just nervous about asking a question. But I remember thinking how just com how completely next level the production design in this film was from the cars to the sets design and, and the sets that we see. And, and I was just a huge sucker for the way that they showed the editing equipment and the film equipment in this. Um, we get close ups on film being rewound and edited um, the scenes with Christine Chubbuck editing her own spots was fantastic uh love to see that and the last thing about this is the story which i feel like um it's it's complicated because as in the film that we saw also at sundance kate plays christine um this is a really hard story to tell without trying to understand um the person and also the the message behind what happened with her suicide live on air in that era where we saw a huge shift from what people knew as the news 
and what we now know as the news in 2020. Um, this was really the start of this of the planting of the seed of what we now see as a lot of media today, um, where dollars are more important than journalism. And obviously, Christine's relationship with the station matter and the creepy station owner who doesn't even know that he owns a radio station, I don't think, or sorry, doesn't even know he owns a television station. In fact, he has a line where he mentions that the only reason he bought that television station is because his wife liked the town that they were in, uh, which is fucked up. Uh, anyways, but I, I just thought a lot of the line that was walked with that was done well for the most part. And even though I really love this film, I do acknowledge that there are some parts of this film that I think don't do it perfectly. But at the same time, um, I'm able to get past that because I feel like the line that you'd have to walk to try to tell this story accurately without leaning one way or the other um, was an unwalkable line for anyone who would attempt to make a film about this subject matter. So I thought this film was fascinating. I thought it was done really well. Uh, I think the story is really interesting. And I think the subject matter and the relevance to our world today is enormous. So I loved this film in 2016. I felt the same way about it when I rewatched it uh, a week or so ago. And I'm a huge fan of Christine. Moving on, whoever wants to take it next. Uh, Nick, you're welcome to go ahead. Sure. Yeah. I. Uh... So yeah, this is my second time watching it uh, since we saw it in the festival as well. And I got to admit that um, I think it may have went somewhat down in my estimation, but I still overall, I agree with you, Alex, in that the fact that it's a success at all is a pretty tall order. Uh, in general, I mean, the, the thing that you're spot on about is the fact is Rebecca Hall which is that she gives a phenomenal performance and I think in many ways she elevates the script uh, that was given to her and even those around her I think her energy throughout the entire film is a fascinating you know uh, background for everybody to react to not just for her own performance so I think she pretty much carries the entire movie I'm usually a fan of what this uh, is, and, and I am in, to an extent, as far as uh, exploration and odyssey, so to speak, into mental illness and how it can kind of slowly chip away at someone's entirety, you know, and who they are and how they act and whatnot, and that's certainly the case in this script. But I, I do struggle sometimes while I'm watching it and when I think back on it as to whether I think the script writer, because I really don't fault Rebecca Hall or even Antonio Campos, who I think directs the hell out of it for sure. But I just, it, it, it's so weird because there's a whole real life component here, not just that Christine Chubbuck is a real person who really did do that on air, but also that there's an entire uh, gap, basically, of who she is that exists out there. Because one of them more fascinating things about this uh, real life story in person is that so little of it is known you know there even after it happened 
we there wasn't like any exposés or anything that was done in the immediate aftermath, which is kind of crazy to think about considering, you know, the the field that she was in. You would have think that that would have been like on the front line, so to speak, as far as investigative journalism. But I think the fact that there is no real uh, documentation, and I don't mean that as literal, but like just records of who she was and even in interviews or whatever. And I think the fact that there is so little of that probably points to what maybe, because that's all we can really ascertain, but what maybe she was battling back then, which was this kind of deep-rooted misogyny, I think, for women in the workplace, and certainly uh, a gross national mishandling of mental illness and uh, how society treats people with uh, such things and afflictions. And I feel like the moment it happened, the story was the suicide and not her. And of course, that's kind of what her last defiant act in this living world was to try to say. And then everybody basically confirmed her worst suspicions uh, in her death. So there's just so much there that's uh, certainly ripe, I would say, unfortunately, but certainly true, ripe for dramatic potential. I think because so little about her is known that the script writer is in an impossible place and I don't think he quite nails down a truly specific portrait of who this version of Christine Chubbuck is. While I think Rebecca Hall portrays her phenomenally no matter what's thrown at her, I do think this is more of a hodgepodge of... Uh, symptoms and traits of a depressive episode or even, you know, a life. And it's not to say that depression or any affliction of mental illness has some kind of universal uh, image. It doesn't, for sure, and that's one of the hallmarks of what makes it so devastating and hard to really cope with, uh, both as someone who has it or as someone who knows someone who has it. And here's the thing, when I the, the more I read about the scriptwriter the more it started to kind of fill in the gaps of as to what I find a little uh, disconnecting at the heart of Christine, which is that apparently the scriptwriter, um, I forget his name, but he's the guy who says that he went into a huge depressive episode uh, back when he was younger, right after 9-11, because he lived in New York uh, at the time of that uh, attack. And he was like, apparently for like the next seven or eight years or something he had a huge depressive episode it was like the kind where you know you don't go out of bed get out of bed every day or sometimes you don't leave your apartment because you can't deal with other people you know like all that kind of those uh kind of symptoms and whatnot and then he said over the years he like you you know i got over it the same way i got it which is with little to no uh fanfare it's just one of those things and and i almost feel like what Christine the movie, I think his biggest mistake is that he didn't have quite uh, the same familiarity with this subject because she was a real person, so he's trying to be respectful. But because he knows so little about her, he can't embellish or anything like that too much. So he's got to make up these specifics. So they come a little too much from his own, I think, 
identity, which, as we know for a fact, because it's been documented, is such a completely different uh, epicenter. You know, Christine, as far as we know, has no, you know, like, uh, life-defining tragedy that she experienced. It's more of a slow, uh, corrosive, uh, depressive episode. And, and I think also just kind of a anti-social disorder too or whatever and I feel like it's that's where this kind of weird script writing choices come in from time to time is that he's writing from a perspective of someone he can't truly get into because he's trying to respect the image of someone who made that choice you know as she did but also he's using uh, his own trauma to inform that and it's like at that point maybe write your own story because at the end of the day I don't know that Christine gets to the heart at why the character of Christine Chubbuck makes the choice that she does outside of a few lines here and there. I mean, you know, Tracy lets if it leads, it leads, that whole rising mantra of, of news, and especially the news, cable news era and whatnot. Like, it's not so, mu- not so much that I don't see the connective tissue from point A to point B, but that doesn't quite sustain the two-hour movie. And um, having said that, I was, I mean, I'll pass it on after this, but I was slightly more favorable this time around toward the supporting characters because I kind of remembered them being slightly more oblivious and or malicious to Christine, uh, at least in my memory, like four years removed from having first seen it. And I was pleasantly surprised to see that there's not really a failure to help Christine so much as, unfortunately, Christine couldn't help herself. I mean, there are mistakes made on the parts of, you know, almost everybody that knew her, for sure, but mostly everybody is trying to help her and giving her a lot of leeway uh, with her behavior. I mean, there are things she does in this movie that most people would be done with a a human being if they acted like that. I mean, you know, the whole shouting match in the hallway with her boss or the way she treats her quote-unquote friend uh, and her story. So, you know, on the one hand, I kind of applaud that this movie internalizes that depression and shows that, unfortunately, Christine is kind of the creation the creator of her own problems not that she makes up her own depression because she doesn't that's not to say that but as someone who's been afflicted by depression and whatnot this is a very realistic portrayal in that sense where because you have something like this sometimes it makes you react poorly to other people literally just trying to help or at the very least just trying to exist and live out their own lives as if somehow that has anything to do with you personally when it doesn't so I was pleasantly surprised I mean the whole scene with uh, Michael C. Hall when he takes her to that support group um, I remember that being so cringeworthy the first time and obviously it is to an extent but I was kind of surprised by how much I think that actually is his last-ditch attempt to try to help her because he does see that there is something wrong with her. And all he can say is, this worked for me, so, and you know, sure, it's not the greatest thing to do, but he's saying, so hopefully it can help you. And as much as it's absolutely the wrong thing, um, there's really no, uh, you know, harmful intent uh, in his actions so much as... Uh, uh, the context in which he presents it. That's really the, the, the only bad thing about what yeah, he the, did. The, is... At least in, in the way the film presents that is that he's unaware completely 
of her feelings towards him, which obviously um, has to be artistic uh, um, uh, creation of that idea of her. I don't want to say feeling like he's her soulmate or anything like that, but that that's the person that she believes if she could just have the confidence to talk with him uh, and, and tell him how she feels that everything would be fine. Um, and then after she feels like she actually has a chance for that, he basically says, Oh um, no, we're going to go to this therapy group that worked really well for me, which is, I think, uh, an interest and again, I, I think it was probably fabricated for this film. So oh, yeah. it's a little yeah. gross, but at the same time, um, it is pretty heartbreaking because she's at like, at least in her existence, feeling like the one thing in this world that could bring her to what she really wants and whether it would have been that at all is obviously up for debate. Uh, but she thinks that and then in lieu of that, he takes her to dinner and then pretty much brings her back and says, actually, I just wanted to get you to go here. And I think, I think her oddly, there's an odd acceptance and at the same time denial of her diagnosis that is um, extremely intriguing for me, at least on a film story level, uh, not necessarily on a human being level, but on a story and film structure level. Um, this idea that she's obviously very aware of her struggles, but at the same time doing everything she can to have them not be part of her pers personality and part of her life um, is, is very interesting, at least to watch play out in a film setting. Yeah, and I'll also say, too, that... It's not so much that I, you know, condone what he does or anything like that, but for me, it's definitely the the context of the time and place uh, aspect, which, you know, for all of how oblivious, you know, uh, Christine can be, obviously, that was his big bonehead moment. But I also kind of see where he's coming from, not in the lengths that he goes, but throughout the entire movie, he does continue to try to bridge that connection that he can pretty much sense that she wants from him and every single time she basically kind of shuts him down not just shuts down but like brushes it off and and runs the other way so unfortunately uh i think he's like well you know i guess i misread all of this but you know if you still need help you know whatever so i that's why ultimately that scene for me was more heartbreaking uh in an almost not quite but close to like an even split than it was just poor christine because i was like oh he am i i mean you know like the way she brushes him off in the pool room or in the way um i think there's at least a couple other times when you know he tries to like talk to her and he even says at one point like how come we're always so close to you know getting a little deeper and then you know we can't and it's unfortunately due to christine and uh, her inability to cope with her own personal problems. So, um, 
So yeah, uh, it's, it's definitely a fascinating movie, and I think that's ultimately why I err on the side of being a fan. Um, there's just a few choices here and there. I, I I will say the clumsiest script choice for me is definitely the uh, persisting uh, uh, ovarian problem. Uh, you know, she first of all, that's as far as I know, completely fabricated for the script. So to have this... I believe that is it's incorrect. Not. Oh, it's not. It's... Yeah. No, it's real. So, oh, okay. um, to, just to um, yeah, yeah, you can go from now. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just I wanted to say just because I was like I was reading about her real story, um, yeah. and she actually ended up getting that surgery in real life before she died. So in the film, it's assumed that she doesn't get the surgery, but in real life, she actually did. So, so... go ahead. No, no, no. Okay, that's interesting. So I think that mm-hmm. maybe is what I read that. Because I, I, I know I had read something that says she never, um, that something was wrong about that. So the fact that she doesn't get the surgery in the movie is very weird because it kind of shows, I mean, throughout the whole movie, that's one of her biggest kind of, like, uh, obstacles as an audience and trying to identify her, to identify with her, which is, you know, she has this uh, gnawing problem at her that has a fix. I'm not saying it's an easy fix or a painless one, but it's certainly there's a way to go through with it to, you know, whatever. So I almost feel like it's kind of a cheat to not uh, go that route and to at least acknowledge that she was capable of taking care of herself. And if anything, that's kind of a grossly... Uh, irresponsibly misrepresentation of mental illness because that makes her seem worse uh, in the movie than it does in real life if if that's what really happened so that's that's unfortunate on my end so anyway i'm done now i i, I didn't mean to say like oh you go anna whatever i meant like you i, I would talk for way too long anyway so but i am officially done anna so what no were that your, what were your that... thoughts <laughs> okay you don't need to apologize uh, um that's awesome that, that, that's awesome only because I feel like that's one of the few times on this podcast that Nick has like sort of stumbled out of a segment. <laughs> um, and I, that's nothing to say against you, man. It, it's, oh, yeah. it's actually, I think a huge thing of, of how well you put together your opening remarks that Thank you. in in general, uh, that's one of the first times I can remember you just being like, <laughs> all right <laughs> start doing uh adam sandler how does he do the whatever anyway which movie was that from i know the answer is like 30 of them yeah. but... <laughs> uh, anyway um okay so um i know that um I have been looking forward to watching this film and for quite some time. And obviously I didn't until Alex uh, asked to do an episode on it. And I think I've mentioned this on the, this on the show before, but your guys's Sundance episode is one of my most favorite episodes you ever did. And I remember the both of you like really, really enjoying this film at the festival. Um, and then I, every now and then I stumble across Christine Chubbuck's like Wikipedia page. Um, I have a morbid curiosity for lots of things. And every now and then she just, you know, I end up landing on her page. Um, And so I was a little, I was pretty familiar with the story before I watched the film. Um, So 
I was so pleased with this. I was super happy um, with viewing this film for the first time. Like That's an and- interesting perspective on this film. This just made me feel so good inside. I was just, what, I'm, I'm trying to give a glowing review, okay? <laughs> yeah, Alex. Man, that would have been quite the headline. They should put that on the on the uh, Blu-ray box, being like, ah, glowing reviews for Christine. <laughs> Especially since it's her name on this. That's just, whew. It blew my mind. <laughs> um... <laughs> All right, there's my tasteless joke. You know what? That's what we do here, so I think that's fine. Um, Thank you for that. Um, So what I'm trying to say is I really enjoyed this film. Um, I, like, there was was so much um, detail and overarching things that I did just enjoy so much that it just captivated me throughout the entire viewing. I loved um, Rebecca Hall's performance and I know that she's British. So her accent was like combination um, more than likely imitating uh, Christine's actual voice. And then also a, um, I think like a, a deep Ohio accent. I think that's what that was because nobody else in the film speaks like that. And I believe she's the only one where they like point out that she's from Ohio. Um, Super cool to see a bunch of TV actors that I adore. Um, Michael C. Hall, like Alex said, super good in this role, especially in the era of the seventies. I definitely think that this time period was built for him. Um, and also cool to see Jonah Ryan from Veep as um, the, the weatherman. And then um, Piper Chapman's best friend from Orange is the New Black Polly as Gene in this film. Uh, and then also Jay Smith Cameron as Peg, who we all know and love as Jerry from Succession. So it was a very pleasing um, cast list to see. Um, I really, really like... Antonio Campos's style of directing. I think he might be climbing my list of my favorite directors ever. Like I Yay. was so impressed. Virtual high five. I was so impressed. Um, he does a lot of camera work that is so simple and so effective. And I think what um, this film really does really well that I don't think enough pieces of media do is really hone in on naturalistic conversation, um, especially in a work environment. And I think this film does that so good. So in the beginning scene um, where it is Christine and Jean and they're looking over something before the broadcast and Jean keeps trying to get Christine to look at something for her, which is then revealed to be Jean's story that she was working on for the Gainesville serial killer that um, Christine didn't know anything about. So that was rough. Um, That whole interaction just was really nice to see. Um, And I, I really like how that, that gets set up here. Um, 
And there was just so much of the characters' dynamics that I really enjoyed too. So um, I like the way they set up the relationship with Christine and her mom. And then we later see how that evolves and how Christine airs out her frustrations. Um, I really like that scene where they end up fighting because I think the the anger part of Christine's depression really, um, really shows up there. Um, and also I can't get away from a film without in, admiring the, uh, the cinematography and the stylizing of it. I adored everything about the visuals here. It was so 70s. And I was reading that they like picked, um, it was either they got cameras that replicated the, the filter of the 70s or they edited it to look like that. It has that like yellowish orange tone um, that was like very true to the technology at the time. And this film really does reflect that. Um, and I liked that so much. And I was all over like the makeup, the hairstyling and the costume here. It really did feel like you were there, like you were in the workplace. And the reason that was such a breath it was such a breath of fresh air is because I just finished watching um, Zodiac for the first time. And I know Zodiac is obviously a much different film than this, but the reason I'm comparing the two is because Zodiac takes place in the sixties to the seventies. And then here, Christine is like just 1974. There was so much about Zodiac where if you didn't tell someone this takes place in the 60s or the 70s, they would have no idea. I just don't think um, that film put in a lot of effort when it came to the the hair and the costuming on the actors there. And here, it's Whoa, like... It, those are fighting it, words. You think so? Yeah, David Fincher's I, I, like I a... think it. I think it definitely has a little bit more of a modern feel. But but I'll, uh, I'll, and as someone who's only seen Zodiac probably two or three times, mm-hmm. I'll I'll agree with him a little bit uh, on this that that film is, uh, in terms of the elements and the way that it's shot and the way that the production design is done, and especially because there are so many more scenes in that film than there are in this film. Um, well, that yeah. film is 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 doing a masterclass work at putting together that time period especially with the subject matter where that's actually following the murder investigation instead of this, which um, rightfully so is a much more independent film uh, that, that's being made on a much smaller budget um, and is doing things much more creatively, I think, uh, to get the desired effect that you're describing. Yana. I was going to say, I think with something like Christine uh, with the smaller budget, there's kind of two ways to do de- to portray a, a, a decade, so to speak, in the past, which is to portray it as it was, like down to the smallest details, even if some of those details are actually not all that unchained, or there's to portray a slightly heightened version of it, so that way people can recognize it as such, as, as the 70s, because it's like, oh, the shorthand here is that hair, or whatever. So I, I think it's two schools of the way, whereas one was way more... I would say Zodiac way more intensive about making sure that that hubcap never existed, so therefore it can't be in that shot on that car, whatever. Whereas this is a lot more, and not a bad way, but front and center, like hairdos and whatnot. Uh, so anyway, right, and that's YouTube bring up a very good point, and I, I, yes, I definitely agree with you. But 
like specific i was looking at like very specific things and uh comparing the two like for example when we zoom in on um when we zoom in on up close shots of uh christine in this film you get uh, a very good uh visual of the hairline of the wig she's wearing, where if you didn't know any better, you would just think that's Rebecca Hall's natural hair and they styled it like this and it's like clear clear cut 70s women's hair, right? You look at Jake Gyllenhaal in Zodiac, pretty sure he just argued with the hair person and was like, don't give me ugly 70s hair. I don't have time for this. If you didn't know any better, you would just think they pulled... 2007 Jake Gyllenhaal off the street, put him in a time machine, and there he is trying to solve the murder of the Zodiac. That annoyed the bejesus out Wait of me. Wait a minute. Well, First of all, I have to say, so your, your contention that Christine looks more realistic because you can see that she's wearing a wig? No, no, no. It's just more so the effort was put there specifically because the main character in this film looks so 70s. Jake Gyllenhaal is a lead actor in Zodiac, and he just looks like Jake Gyllenhaal. My belief uh, is in suspense because his hair looks the fucking same. This is all I'll say about about it, and I'm, I'm not going to vehemently disagree with you, Anna, because I think that these are two separate movies trying to do separate types of things, but... David Fincher is one of the most meticulous directors of our generation. Um, and I'm sure he went down to the smallest fine tooth comb detail um, about what was happening in that film with specific characters in terms of their looks and their hairdos in different time periods um, and their clothing and the way that they talked and the way that they moved. Um, I've heard from all accounts that I've read and seen in interviews that he's not necessarily in the same vein as someone like Stanley Kubrick, but he's extremely difficult to work with because of what he expects out of the product that he's creating. Um, and I think you probably see that in most of his films. Right. And I, I say that as a person myself that really admires David Fincher. I was more so focusing on the fact that Christine here, she looks very 70s. Jake Gyllenhaal here doesn't look 70s. But if you told me Robert Graysmith in real life had that very modern hairstyle, I guess I could just give it a pass then. It was just something I noticed watching two um, very different films doing very different things set in similar time periods and the different stylistic choices they made in regards to um, the actor's wardrobe and styling. Something I, I noticed and liked to focus on. So pardon me for going off on a tangent there. Yeah. We don't ever <laughs> do that on this podcast. So how dare you? <laughs> but, um, okay. So besides uh, Rebecca Hall's wig, um, I, <laughs> I really, really just enjoyed this film. And this scene has already been uh, mentioned, but I love all of the interactions between... Christine and George Peter Ryan, otherwise no known as Gorgeous George, um, because we are, as the audience, are doing our best to 
to look and see for the things that Christine also wants to see with these interactions with George. So um, the scene where they're taken to that therapy group, also agree, infinite levels of cringe. And it was so interesting up until that point, hearing his language, the way George talks to Christine and the way he asks her out to dinner because he's always, the way he puts it is, let's go out to dinner. He's not really, or let me take you to dinner. He's not saying, let's go out or will you go out to dinner with me? So I noticed that, um, that detail in the dialogue and I was like, man, Christine really likes him. Clearly, George sees that she's having a hard time. I don't really think he means this as being romantic. And um, we've seen scenes like, uh, or dynamics like this before, where um, people have two different intentions and yet they still end up sharing a meal together. And then to top that all off by going to a therapy group, and I was honestly waiting for the moment in the film where we find out Christine is actually a virgin because that was like, a big thing in her true story is that she was very depressed about that. Um, and <laughs> George's dialogue when he drops her off and he's like, well, if a quarterback with a Coke problem like me can get transferred to Baltimore, the world is your oyster, Christine. I was like, oh, you are missing, you are missing it so much. You are yeah, missing and, it a lot and- there. And I think the other part of his character, which is so interesting, is that we have a delivery of his personality that happens when he's not on screen, which I'm always a huge fan of. Uh, Later on, I think it's when Christine is having that really awkward meeting with the station manager who's clearly drunk, hitting on her, and has no idea where he is. when they have that really weird meeting at his house when she claims she had a flat tire, just happened to be in front of your house. Um, the the announcement to her that the, uh, for lack of a better term, floozy has been chosen to go. The sports broadcaster. The she sports does sports broadcast. She's been yeah. chosen, handpicked by Michael C. Hall. Uh, because of her talents to, to go with him to Baltimore. I think that is one of the most defining traits about his character, mostly because he's not only not interested in her sexually or personally or romantically, he also doesn't really necessarily think that she's worthwhile as a journalist enough to be someone he wants to take with him if he gets to choose um, to his new job. So I feel like that is the, the double punch that really, um, really drives the needle in because man, that is, you already had everything that transpired after the dinner. And now you have this being delivered from the, Mr. Burns level station owner. <laughs> yeah, that was um that was definitely a one two punch and both in Christine's direction. Um and it's so interesting because up until Christine finds that out from Bob Anderson, the 
truly the only only interactions that the audience sees between George and Andrea is that one um, finishing moment of the scene at the 4th of July party where Andrea walks in as Christine rushes out because she hated being at that party. Um, and she's like, do you want to play pool? And then, of course, only after Christine sees Bob um, at his house, I think it's the following day at the news station. We see um, George and Andrea actually like talking together in the studio. They're walking together. And I'm pretty sure that was a deliberate choice because they could have been talking and walking together at any other moment before then. But um, we're seeing effectively what Christine is seeing is that she didn't know that they were together. And lo and behold, they get transferred to, transferred to Baltimore together. Well, and that's just another example of what's such a huge problem um, in our society and has been for long before our lives started, which is that it's not about what you know, it's who you know. And I think that that is one of the ultimate theses of this film, even though it's obviously about Christine, it's about the subject matter, it's about this idea of that's just interesting um, uh, of, of this person who committed this act on live television and finding out more about what drove them to do this, at least in a thematic sense. But, you know, we, we just see this, this really ugly side of our society and really of, of how the world works where at the end of the day, um, it does matter what you know and what your ability is, but you better also be doing the other side of it because if you're not, um, no one's going to notice you and your ability alone is not going to bring you where you want to be. And it's a really unfortunate lesson that still to this day, um, most people have to deal with because no one's going to be paying attention with you if you're not advocating for yourself. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's interesting. Sorry, not to like... Uh, I was just agreeing with okay. Alex. That's <laughs> uh, so I looked up a couple details while we were discussing this about the real Christine Chubbuck, and I was slightly surprised to find out two details, which is that one, she was seeing a psychiatrist, uh, particularly toward the end of her life, um, which is somewhat further confirming my unfortunate worst impressions of the scriptwriter's intentions of trying to portray depression as this almost uh, insurmountable thing and, and portraying a person who can't try to better themselves and then ultimately still uh you know making the choices that they make so I, I find that slightly disheartening especially considering you know he's gone on the record saying that he suffered from it as well it's almost like he doesn't want to equate himself with a person who you know went through the motions and unfortunately still made that uh unspeakable you know choice and the other thing too is that apparently the crush on george is completely real as far as the unrequited thing however her closest co-worker in the entire office apparently was the the girl that he was dating and liked so 
I find that interesting that that this movie kind of sidelines her completely as if she's just a bimbo, which almost kind of salty. I don't know. It just feels like a weird, not even yeah. rewrite, but like a, yeah, well, you know, she's just a dumb bitch. Like, <laughs> like I don't think that, but unfortunately that's how it comes across, especially when it's kind of on record that they were close friends. And I'm like, okay, well then that's a dramatically interesting thing, unfortunately. And I can see why that would, you know, drive a person, you know, uh, I don't want to say crazy, but obviously just into a deeper uh, trove of, of self, you know, a lack of self-worth and whatnot, because I completely understand that. So it the whole George thing in this movie, it, it goes out of its way, I think, to make George a good guy, which I'm not saying he's a bad person by any means, because I don't know him or anything like that. But it's it's so weirdly hung up on George as a fantasy in Christine's eye, which I get that that's probably what it was to a degree in real life, but it also misses the very weird and human element that was actually at play in real life, um, let alone the fact that Christine apparently was taking a lot of measures in her real life to try and combat, I mean, you know, not showing that she went to have that surgery or that she went to uh, see a psychiatrist regularly is pretty, it's pretty fucked up in my opinion, now that I've got confirmation on that but anyway um sorry just wanted to throw that out no there. i mean i mean as i was mentioning in my opening remarks this is a really hard film to have a firm stance on when it comes to discussing with anyone else because even though as a film from a film perspective i think this is magnificent um story-wise um well it it it, 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 well it's it's tough because the subject matter and the way it's portrayed um if there's any deviations which in almost any film there is unless it's just a flat-out documentary of the events that happened um there's always going to be artistic um, or artistic influence uh, that changes the story to work for what the writer is tr- or the director is trying to accomplish. But I, I will say, because of the subject matter, specifically because this film is about depression and other um, other parts of, of someone's life that could lead them down a path to suicidal thoughts. Um, Boy, it just makes it all about whichever person's who's the viewer's personal feelings and personal experiences on the subject matter. Um, In in a way, I feel like that's even more than most films that, that one could sit down and watch because it is such a part of everyone's life even if they do not personally believe um, that depression is something that they deal with. Um, It is all around everybody and in every way is part of everyone's life, whether they like it or not. Yeah. And I think one thing to this movie's credit and why I would say I come out a little harshly at times about, you know, this choice or that. Because I think ultimately that's what deviations from a true story is. They're, they're not deviations, they're choices, you know. They, these aren't like, oh, the car got away from me. This is, I did my research and I decided that this, 
is not inherently satisfying to my thematic thesis, despite the fact that I'm actually trying to, you know, uh, depict a real-life person and get to the heart of why they made the choice they made. I feel like those two things are at odds, because they're not, you know, for me at least, they're not deviations, they're choices. But one thing to this movie's credit, and I think is ultimately what kind of makes it so fascinating, is that the one thing you would expect before you've seen it this movie to kind of whiff at because it's just honestly it's an impossible task uh and and to exploit would be the actual recreation of her final day and the moment of and ultimately that's probably somehow the least exploitative thing about the entire movie like that whole build up and then the the scene itself is done in such a way that they don't cut away from it, because I think that would have been cheap uh, to basically, uh, you know, no matter what... That, you... Dude, that, 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 is, that is unfortunately the gold standard of how to handle this kind of event happening in a film, and I hate it. I yeah. want someone to commit to the action because you are making an entire piece about this I felt the exact same way about the Abraham Lincoln film. Like, you can't just, like, have it happen off screen, one of the most important parts of someone's history, and, and not at least show exactly what it was. And exactly what you're saying, Nick, I completely agree, because I feel like what we see is very matter-of-fact and not dramatic or, or not anything. It's just watching the events take place as they did for everybody in the studio. Um, and, and I I love to Tracy Let's line delivery as he's walking towards her body he saying, okay, that's, that's funny. And yep. it's like, no, no. Yeah. Whew. And that's the ultimate, you know, obviously the tragedy of A of that moment was that, at least in the film's version of events and characters, is that she unfortunately was and has been acting so erratically lately that, um, you know, it and it's such a shocking and traumatic thing, then honestly that's a pretty understandable reaction. It, as an immediate, it's not that he didn't go over there, you know, it's not like he was like, okay, let's uh, wrap this show up. <laughs> like, it's, But his shock processed it as possibly a joke because there was at least a possibility that, you know, that was what she was going for. Um, but yeah, the fact that that whole moment, like you said, it committed by showing the action, but I think the even the it's a one-two punch because then the even more important thing is that it was unflinching but it didn't dwell on it and i feel like that's ultimately uh kind of what landed me on the side of thinking that it portrayed it as best as it possibly could because we we don't really i wouldn't say that the movie tries to hit you over the head with the impending tragedy of the act even on the final day i mean obviously it's a little bit of a unease in the air as she you know kind of breaks her routine a little bit but ultimately i i almost get the way that it's portrayed and maybe by accounts of kind of reading a little bit about the day of from you know various news sources that 
this was something that she was maybe going to do, maybe not going to do. Like, this wasn't a for sure thing because a lot of uh, the accounts say that because the video didn't roll, that's when she decided to do it. And it's almost, and that's kind of what's portrayed in the movie. And now I'm not saying, obviously she brought a gun with her, so it's not so much that it, whatever. But there, there's a weird ambiguity as to what prompted her to do it when she did. Um... And, you know, was this something maybe she was going to do at a later date? You know, it kind of, there, there's a song by, uh, uh, by the Scottish, uh, uh, rock band, folk rock band, whatever, called Frightened Rabbit, uh, singer-songwriter in that band, Grant Hutchinson, unfortunately passed away due to suicide. And leading up to that moment, all of his songs were pretty riddled with, images and motifs about depression and suicide and that's ultimately what made him one of the greatest songwriters of all time i think because he was so unflinching in his depiction of it and then sadly uh he did take his own life in a manner that was actually kind of described in a song off of his second album and there is a the final song of that album which is my favorite i think album of all time the midnight organ fight the final song is such a hopeful uh, shall we say, uh, look at what it's like to live with depression and maybe even uh, suicidal thoughts, which is as long as you can get through another day, you know, because ultimately the chorus continues to cut in and says, well, I think I'll save suicide for another day. So it's kind of that it never goes away, but as long as you just don't make the choice at this moment, you'll have plenty of other times to make that choice but as long as you don't do it now, you're still here, you know, to the next moment, and that's all that matters. And I almost feel like, at least as portrayed in the movie, and maybe even the way it's been described, because it seems pretty like a one-to-one analog here, uh, that maybe that's what she had that gun for. Like, this was a, uh, before she made that choice, like, this was like, well, you know what, I'll maybe I'll do that next week or whatever. And then she found herself in a position where almost the tension of this kind of feeling like she's stuck. I mean, ultimately, that's kind of what it feels like when not only just in her real life, but being up at that desk and then being told now you have to stretch time because, you know, your job literally isn't working and going in the trajectory that it's supposed to be. And then all of a sudden, it's an impulsive reaction to what's more probably a metaphor for how you're feeling about a much larger problem. So anyway, that's kind of rambling, but I, I love the way that that's portrayed because I do think there's some kind of ambiguity uh, as to whether it was kind of planned all along or just one of those things that she had always had in the back of her mind. Um, I'm glad that like it it was really cool to hear you guys um talk about that scene because um throughout the whole movie I was like how are they going to put it on screen like what are they going to do like my prediction and this isn't a reflection on the way that the film was going or anything at all my prediction is that they would show it in its entirety and then the film would end there but I was actually happy that the film didn't end after the gunshot. We still saw, um, we still saw a little bit of aftermath. Um, and then we saw um, the final scene, which I thought was brilliant. Was really good. Um, um, I thought it was especially very because it's actually a callback to a line of dialogue uh, that that character has earlier in the film. Yes. Oh. And, yeah. and, and I, I just remember loving it in the, well, first of all, I love um, the realness of her crying in the ambulance 
um, in trying to hold Christine's head and talk to her as she's laying there, obviously not conscious. Um, and I loved the denouement of this film, and I loved that final scene, mostly because her eating ice cream and talking about exactly as the way she usually goes about whenever she's legitimately feeling um, helpless and sad. Um, but the fact that she's listening to the Mary Tyler Moore theme song and singing along with it, I thought was just fantastic. I thought it was really good too. And like it going back to that callback, it just, I think the way it was written, like just annoyed me because I just didn't think that was a natural way to say that the way Jean was like, Oh yeah, I learned this little trick where I eat ice cream when I don't feel good. And I was like, is that really like a, a, bunny out of the hat kind of thing is eating ice cream when you feel sad because I mean I'm light years ahead of you dude like that isn't like it isn't like a, a sort of you know super unusual thing to do is to eat ice cream when you just feel sad so I think just the way she said it annoyed me but I do like how um it was you know brought back in the ending scene but well I, lo I love it too because I think one of the issues that Christine shows throughout the film is that nobody really has an emotional response to her, um, whether it be Michael C. Hall, whether it be anyone that she sees as important in her life, specifically her mother, who she constantly, um, I think at times fairly and at times unfairly, uh, paints as a live-in but non-existent mother um even though she's obviously an adult but at the same time obviously um at least to me christine has very specific feelings and triggers with her mom specifically her talking with people and smoking pot which obviously uh, at least in the film version is a trigger for her in a way but um uh, i i love that final scene with her because I think it, it really shows through that um, even if she felt like she didn't have, and, and it is real, obviously unfortunate, uh, especially as um, I believe, and I, I'd like to be hopeful that um, we are in a much different spot in 2020 than we were in 1974 as it relates to depression and suicide, obviously um, still a long yeah, it's way worse. to go. <laughs> well, um, just because we uh, talk about it more, which we do, and certainly we're slightly better at, only slightly, but at uh, facilitating at least the avenue to explore things like mental health uh, therapy and issues, uh, suicides, I th I'm pretty sure, statistically speaking, are actually pretty much increased. Well, and, and, and there are, unfortunately, numerous reasons for that. There's not just a, oh, yeah. it's increasing because of this um just just look at teenagers and social media uh and and the way that the world is going um but also too i guess what i'm getting at is that even though maybe i am a little bit um I, i'm a little bit off here uh, and, and i'll take that um i i think just comparing comparing the idea of being able to, for some people, well, let's say this, a higher percentage of people um, 
at least have somebody that they hopefully feel like they can talk to um, where in this film and, and at least what's portrayed from this era um, if you even thought about opening your mouth about your feelings and depression and suicidal thoughts it was an immediate you're a crazy person and you're out of society uh, I, 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 again he... I'm I'm, I'm I'm walking a fine line here. And no, I'm, I'm not, not saying what I, you're I, saying. I, I, am, I am way over generalizing. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, yeah. No, I'm saying I, it's... I'm just. I'm just. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not coming after you. Uh... <laughs> it's okay if you are. I'm, no. I'm I'm fine with that because I'm 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 out of my league here in a lot of different levels. Well, I'm yeah. just gonna say that the '70s, particularly as a re uh, reaction to the '60s was a boon for mental health <laughs> awareness and issues. I'm not saying it was in the same spot back then as it is in now, like we obviously have made some strides or whatever, but part of the reason why George's uh, effort, so to speak, when he brings her to that thing, is actually not all that malicious like from the viewer's perspective, is because that was huge back then, uh, self-help groups, uh, you know, if anything, a lot of, that was kind of the big thing, was uh, group and whatnot, so ironically, the idea that Christine Chubbuck in this movie is literally less proactive and more repressed about speaking forth about her mental issues, when by all accounts, not only did she speak about it openly with her family, uh, but also to professionals, Ultimately, that's what kind of uh, turns me off a little bit about because you, you're portraying the story of a woman who lived in the era in which mental health finally, uh, mental health awareness and uh, treatment was finally had its first big breakthrough on a societal level that it has seen since like the birth of actual you know psychological studies and theories so that's that's ultimately what i find so weirdly reductive about the script's treatment of christine and her own agency on her path to bettering herself and ultimately that final scene okay i'll say this if this was another movie, like, that final scene alone is fantastic. I mean, it pushes a lot of my own buttons, like the whole Mary Tyler Moore reference, besides just being fun, but also, obviously, with Mary Richards being a person who worked in a, you know, news uh, room uh, in that era. Like, it's, it's such a perfect capper. However, that comes on the heels of a movie in which the writer deliberately downplays Christine's own search for help and or uh, a lack of initiative to at least try to address her own problems. So to end with the character who essentially says, you know what I do when I'm sad, I do this, and that's how I get through it, it kind of leaves a sour taste in my mouth as if basically intentional or unintentional the movie is leaving viewers with the image of a person who quote-unquote wins their battle whereas christine lost hers and I, I don't really i don't i don't know I, I don't know how to feel about that and i think it's a that could have used another pass for me because while i do like it as an individual scene uh too many choices were made before that scene for that to land in the way that it was intended for me at least because it's like well why wasn't christine chubbick the character afforded the same level of care and even uh equity uh when it comes to 
her own uh, emotional intelligence. Well, yeah. I, I, I'm not changing gears here, but from what we're talking, <laughs> I, I do no. I I, yeah. I I wrote a quote down, which I, I found uh, was one of my favorite quotes from the film, um, and I made I made sure to actually write it down so I wouldn't forget about it. And I, I don't know, based on the conversation we've just had, I don't know if this is a great quote or if it's a meh quote, but I enjoyed it at least when it was delivered on screen, yeah. which is when Christine is being told that the reason why people don't talk to her is because she's not approachable. And she says, well, when the person says, well, you're not the most approachable person, person, she responds, I am approachable. You just do not know how to approach me. Um, and I, I actually thought that was a great line because um, realistically, um, I feel like so many people portray others in the way that they view themselves and anything that is outside of an action that they would give off or that they believe that they should receive um, is, is received differently. And they do not know how to really understand others and really get into others. And, and there's way much more to this onion than just that, but um, that's randomly just the one quote that I really enjoyed. But also to what you're saying, Nick, does lend to some of this film's problems, even though um, I don't necessarily get bothered by them um, in the way that you do. Yeah. I, I mean, the last thing I'll say is not so much that I don't think that there can be a disparity between any two human beings and uh, either one of them's uh, or either one of their tethering to their own mental health. You know, some people, uh, I wouldn't say have it more together, but have a regime that they have figured out. And sometimes it takes less mental uh, gymnastics to get to that point and it's not because one person is obviously smarter or healthier than the other person it's because literally all of our brains are completely different from one another so therefore uh, you you can't teach a one-size-fits-all thing and um, there are media out there that I think portrays this very well in fact a conversation that's actually starkly similar to the whole I eat ice cream you know uh, mantra, as as her coworker tells her, is in uh, the HBO miniseries that was based off a book, uh, Olive Kitteridge. There's a whole scene when a very suicidal man um, sees a woman out on a cliff, and uh, he runs to her because she uh, starts to fall a little bit, and um, he saves her because she kind of fell over, but then she he grabs her, whatever, brings her on, and she thanks him. They go into like a diner, right? you know, next to it, and they start having this conversation, and after it gets a little quiet, uh, he says, so why do, why were you gonna jump, and then she was like, what, and then he's like, well, I mean, you were up there, you, before you went over, you were crying, she goes, well, yeah, I went up there, because I was sad, and I wanted, whenever I'm sad, I go up there to pick those flowers that grow right by the cliff, and then he goes, why do you do, that? and then, why do you do that, and then she goes, well, because, Whenever I'm sad, that's what makes me happy. And then all of a sudden, the guy just starts sobbing. And through his sobs, he he's finally able to say, is that all it takes? <laughs> like, you know, that would never work for him. And he doesn't even say that as, like, 
you know, you're a bitch, you know, like how, you know, like whatever. <laughs> He's basically. <laughs> well, I'm just saying it, that can be a volatile. Be that was his line of dialogue, though. Oh yeah, well, yeah right. Uh, no, but he—that's why he's crying because he—he—he's been once again reminded that you know there are things that some people can do for themselves, and he doesn't have the luxury to be able to do those things in the same manner. And that's ultimately what's heartbreaking. Not that he's jealous or that he you know hates another human being for being able to do that, but he hates himself for not making it that easy. And you know. I think Christine, the movie, tries to angle in on that a little bit, but, and I think this is somewhat of a product of it being written by a man about a woman that's literally trying to get into her headspace, which I'm not saying men can't write women, but uh, certainly there's always going to be at least a level that you can never penetrate whatsoever. And I think... Part of that comes from the fact that Christine is often in this movie, I think sometimes what he, the scriptwriter, believes is a quirk or fault of depression is actually, at least in the way he's written it, just quote-unquote difficult. And that part kind of is a weird gray area because that's a man's perspective on how a, a woman, shall we say, carries herself either in the workforce or in her interpersonal relationships but there's so many moments in here where like um i think at one point i think she oh yeah she's like gonna get dinner or she is getting dinner with her mother and her mom asks her how george is and then she freaks out and she says oh god don't ask me questions like that and then of course it's later on in the movie that christine says you never asked me about george so it's all these things are not that they're not realistic obviously a person can be afflicted with a number of things that can make you this kind of quote-unquote uh emotionally irrational but it often leans too much on that kind of crazy contrast of like in this scene i want this but in this scene i'll berate you for doing the very thing that i said i wanted and once again that coupled with her lack of actual uh uh, even attempt to try and, uh, you know, feel better is a weird perspective from a top-down, uh, as, at least as a viewer. I don't know. It just doesn't sit well with me, I got to admit. Um, one of the things that I remembered um, during one of the scenes where Christine is... Um, getting really uh irritated and she begins lashing out um is when she fights with her mom and i think uh it is when her mom's new boyfriend is there in the house too yeah it has to be that because then he like answers the phone and christine's like oh look is he answering the phone now too um she straight up goes into a scream and she goes why don't you ever listen to me and I think it's a combination of um, her not opening up to others, especially not her own mother, but also like what was what you guys had mentioned earlier, people just really didn't listen to or really pay attention to the um, complicated and negative emotions that 
other people experience, especially people with depression. So um, that scene really stuck out to me. And um, I do think that is one that could be one of the uh, feelings of or symptoms of depression is not really feeling heard or not feeling like you have a voice. Um, and so when it comes to the interactions of her coworker asking her out to lunch, and then she says, oh, maybe tomorrow. But of course, like that's the, that's the day where she shoots herself. Um, it's not necessarily that people don't want, to, um, don't want to be around her because I think they do somewhat make an effort, but she is so in herself and views um, could possibly be interpreting it as maybe a pity sort of attention that she just chooses to brush it off and shut people out. And that is just how we see on film the way this Christine has been written. So I, I will say, um, especially since you are bringing up some of those specific lines of dialogue from the first 30 to 45 minutes of this film. Um, I do think some of the, some of the early scenes of this, even though this is a film that I absolutely love, um, they're a little basic. <laughs> um, like just, just the idea of saying things that are like boilerplate things that person who knows very little about what depression actually manifests as with with most people would just think oh yeah that's someone who's depressed they're yelling at their parent it's like okay yeah exactly like that doesn't necessarily mean just because somebody's fighting with their mom that means they're depressed like in, in without context you would just think Okay, Christine is fighting with her mom because Christine said. No, but 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 I, I will say, and I'm um again, I love this movie, so I'm I'm unfortunately after listening to Nick, now I'm being more critical than I than I have been. <laughs> but um, oh, at, at the same time, I'm a disease. What's that? I said I'm a disease. Yeah, no, no, you do this. I was going to save this for final ratings, but I'm not changing my rating. But I'm oh, yeah. definitely going to be tougher on this the next time I watch it, um, which. Um, um, I, I love you, but I hate you because I just want to keep really liking this movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. I, but, I also, but, but I also want to be a better film viewer and a better film critiquer. So. Uh, for me, I'll, I'll put this out there. For me, everything I've said, I think, on this episode has come mostly from a personal standpoint as someone who's gone to therapy, someone who has depression, you know. So... I would say, if I'm being harsh, it's less on what Antonio Campos or Rebecca Hall uh, has achieved with this. If anything, that's what's mostly surprising about it, is that it does work. Uh, but I do think it uh, those problems, so to speak, that I do believe are there, are slightly... Uh, indicative of a mishandling of a topic rather than an actual inherent flaw in the filmmaking or the movie itself. But even with that, I will say, and again, I'm I'm still going to give this a perfect rating as of right now. So um, obviously, I'm not changing anything, and I don't haven't changed my feelings about this film um, based on our conversation. But it's always better to hear other people's perspectives. Um, and think not necessarily harshly, but think critically about any film that, you, that you're watching. Because it's, especially when, at least for myself, so I'll speak for myself on this, whenever I 
feel like I've honed in on, on what I really love about film and what I like watching and the things that really drive me. Um, I feel like I'm searching for media like that. And then I feel like because I subconsciously have told myself, this is what I like as a viewer, I am then not as hard on that piece of media just because it's doing things that I like. So I, I love hearing other people's comments and Nick, I really do always appreciate all of your negativity because you do it so well. <laughs> One of my talents. No. <laughs> Nick is nothing if not positively negative. Aww. <laughs> I, I, I want to shout out something I love, which is the ridiculous, uh, like, 10-second scene uh, where they have to stretch for time, and it caps off with that wonderful delivery uh, from George when he's talking to the weatherman. He's like, kind of makes you a liar. <laughs> <laughs> I like that, too. I thought that was really well done. I think Michael C. Hall is... It's unfortunate because of the subject matter, but it sucks to say this, but he's the star of this. <laughs> yeah, Michael C. Hall is fantastic in everything he's been in, even Dexter, which is one of the worst shows ever. Um, like, he's good in the show. Okay. Uh, so. Listen, the first four seasons were okay, but man, that's... Right. Yes, I was heartbroken by season four, too, so I get it. Yeah, but after that, uh, that show went off the fucking deep end uh literally we'll, yeah. uh, we'll see what happens because apparently showtime's bringing it back for 10 episodes so god, they oh, canceled boy. unbecoming god in central florida to bring back dexter which very clearly ended so whatever yeah. show well whatever to be fair as a fan of the show anna did you like that finale no, but okay. I also. All right. But I just wanted to know. It's one thing to to like the show, which I totally understand. Don't anymore. Most people said that, and myself included, like that's one of the worst television finales of all time. It's Is not it worse than Breaking Bad. Well, it, yes. In the phenomenal. Sense. It's phenomenally terrible, Alex. It, you yeah, don't it is. I, I'm, I'm mostly saying that because Nick is, uh, I would say, in the minority that he is not worse, a fan of the Breaking Bad finale. Worse than Breaking oh, Bad cool. because technically Breaking Bad at that point was giving the fans what it wanted. So uh, while I have problems with what the fans wanted and what Vince Gilligan uh, did with it, that's one thing. This is objectively... What the hell are they doing? Why are they doing it? Oh, God, there's still 30 minutes left. Holy shit. Oh, Dexter's a lumberjack. Like, there's just... <laughs> there Anyway, so... It was so ridiculous. I yeah. couldn't believe it. That's why I don't really want more episodes, because I accept well, the fact does. that it's over. It's over. <laughs> it's it is. Over. But at the very right. least, just numbers-wise... It's got to be better than what they went out with, so maybe it's ultimately a net positive. Here's so. the other thing: this is I'm I'm out of the loop on uh, the cable networks uh, and where they are financially. But with all of the large media that's out there now, and people who are probably looking to be buyers, is Showtime okay? 
Um, Has anyone checked on Showtime lately? Because I feel like I haven't heard much about them other than this desperate, this desperate, desperate um, rebrand. Of they Dexter, so. for a little while. I think they have Shameless. Is that correct? Or is oh, they Shameless? They do, like- but they have one season left of that, and it's post okay. Emmy Rossum leaving the show a season ago. Right. So it's but it's Jack Warner Blake. That's a very long-running, successful show. So mm-hmm. they had quote unquote had that. Yeah, you need more than one. Usually. Yeah, the the big thing is in in Showtime's not even early days because it's been around for a while actually, but in its uh, uh, let's say contentious, okay, now that HBO is a thing, how do we become a thing? Days, uh, it had a decent go when it had on the air at the same time, uh, Dexter, Homeland, and a few other random shows that were actually gaining uh, some traction, and. All those shows with uh, Shameless is probably part of that era because at one point it, that show has been on long enough that I'm pretty sure Dexter, Homeland, and Shameless were on at the same time at least for a, a year or two. But now that that's all pretty much over, they have not done anything since then except for the fact that they were the home of the Twin Peaks uh, season three revival, oh, yeah. which most people consider to be one of the greatest television products, not just Twin Peaks in general, but that actual revival, which is kind of crazy in and of itself because it's a revival and those are almost unanimously awful. Uh, but not only was it not, but it was genuinely. Oh amazing. man. I know this isn't a revival, but. Uh, whatever that Will Smith Fresh Prince thing they're trying to do is Ooh. looks real bad. Yeah, that's that's not good. Um, Alex, to, to answer your question, here are some of the shows that like Showtime does have or did have at one point. So as far as current <laughs> show, at one point being highlighted. <laughs> okay, so Shameless, like I mentioned earlier, Billions, The Shy, City on a Hill, and then that reboot of The L Word. And then um, they have uh, a couple comedy shows that one of them was Black Monday that was nominated for an Emmy or a Golden Globe or something, which I didn't even know was a show until it got like um, recognition in the awards rounds. Um, Don Cheadle is in that. But as far as like former programming, we have Homeland, I'm Dying Up Here, Masters of Sex. Um, Penny Dreadful, Queer as Folk, really taking it back. Um, Ray Donovan, which was on for like oh, a Ray, while. Ray, Ray Donovan's been popular. Right. And then uh, The Thank Affair. God for John Voight. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Affair, the, L, the original L Word, and then a bunch of comedy shows um, that, oh, uh, that I don't um, really recognize aside from, oh, okay, here we go. We have the big E and then United States of Terra. Yeah, these are all then- back then, though. These were all during that era, you know, like, there's really nothing. Yeah, we need one. I'm done. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Oh but really awesome. ones I recognized. Well, I mean, yeah. I, yeah, no, and I watched some of the, like, I watched The Big C, uh, I remember U- United States of Terra, you know, like, these are all shows that, at one point, it was a viable competitor, 
Um, but right now, even its biggest hits, which I've actually heard good things about some of these shows, like Billions, I've heard has actually come into its own as being a fun show. Uh, I've heard that too. Yep. And, and Penny Dreadful, at least the original show, not the spinoffs, but was mm-hmm. genuinely celebrated for putting genre television in a adult light. Uh, just because it just they had some fabulous. Ca- I, I, I've watched very little. But they had some fantastic casting on that show. Oh yeah, I know Ava Green, Killian Murphy. I know Tom Hardy makes an appearance at some point. Josh Hartnett. I mean, and people actually yeah. thought he was good in it, so it's not just. But like, <laughs> it was truly like a great uh, hodgepodge of people that were completely willing to throw themselves into this kind of campy world. And then they canceled it when everyone said it was like at the peak of its whatever. So. Yeah, they're not doing too. Yeah, bad. it's it's not good when you've been number two for a really really long time, and all of a sudden stars and epics are on the on the trail. Yeah, stars uh, they don't have a lot of stuff, but I will say one of my favorite things from any pay cable uh, networks uh, in the last ten years is the Girlfriend Experience, and that was their show. That's oh yeah, it's genuinely one of the best shows of this millennium like it's just so good so i was interested in watching that because i know riley keogh got nominated like for a couple things yeah. um by like a for basically for like a couple awards from that show and then i was like oh that's steven soderbergh so i should set up i'm pretty sure that i mostly like riley keogh in everything and anything because of the girlfriend experience like she now has a free pass for life um because of how good she is on that show to the point where now it's like even when she's in something shitty i'm like well you know at least she showed up and gave it her all but anyway that could just be the psychology brainwashing she's like Waz and steve jobs yeah she has a free pass yeah Sorry. Uh... no wait what did you say what what did, no, I didn't. I guess I didn't hear you. I thought I'm sorry. I thought you. I don't even know. What I, I went think. off your free pass uh, line and said she's like Waz in the movie Steve Jobs. Wozniak. Oh, I get it. That's yes, Steve, Steve Wozniak. Yeah. Yes, that's clever. I remember that. Is it? It's. It's not obviously. Is it just completely <laughs> sunk like a dud? It so. just. It didn't register. <laughs> not the movie, but who <laughs> yeah. you were referring to. So therefore, I didn't make yeah no it was it was not my best word but once you said it then i i made the connection yay yeah 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 so you guys ready to go to final ratings for sure yeah do you want me to go first and then anna then you want to end it alex oh that's fine because i'd be i'd be down for you taking us home okay uh, I'll quickly just say that even though it probably sounded like I shit all over this movie, it's mostly because I think that this movie is a fascinating artifact and, and a good movie rolled up into one. I think any movie that is this probing into uh, these kind of mental illness recesses is ultimately worth watching and especially discussing. And I think ultimately that's the problem sometimes when we do these podcasts, is that what I want to talk about or what I react to and want to articulate is not always how I feel about a movie so much as what is, uh, shall we say, first and foremost in my brain as worthy of discussion. Because... Ultimately, I find it kind of boring if I just sit here and say, like, oh, acting's really great, cinematography is really great. Not because it's boring, but I have other pressing things that are firing on all my synapses and whatnot. So 
I, I do enjoy this movie, and I think it ultimately is a success for what it wants to do and purports to do. I don't think it's a, a total success, but certainly a lot of in individual ingredients here are fantastic, particularly the technical ones, that of the acting and the uh, cinematography and all those things I just said. But um, I do think it slightly misses the mark on trying to actually uh, probe this particular person's uh, struggles with mental illness, especially upon shedding a light on knowing that the person in real life was actually more proactive, because I think that's what we need more stories about right now, and I think that's what I'm reacting to, is not so much as the decisions made by Christine the film, but how it helps uh, continuously create this continuum of an absence of slightly more nuanced portrayals of mental illness struggles. The people who literally do have these coping skills and do go through the motions of, of you know, bettering themselves and trying to be a better person in the society for the benefit of themselves and for loved ones, but then also are coming up against brick walls from time and time again because that's what it is it's an illness it's, um so ultimately it's less about it's probably my feelings stem more from about the uh totality of the depiction and portrayals of mental illness than uh any one films but ultimately i think there's probably more good here than there is bad and obviously i definitely think it's complex enough to warrant all this discussion so i'm gonna give it three out of five stars i think it's definitely recommended and um, everyone should give it a shot um but yeah just know that you if you do struggle with any form of mental illness it's definitely not an easy watch particularly because of the real life event at the end so maybe do some research at least as to uh a little bit about what happens in real life just so that way you can prepare yourself for it not be because <laughs> i just say this it's not a spoiler what happens and i i think everyone owes it to themselves to see if they want to uh take that journey so to speak but three out of five uh for me very cool okay um well i um give this film a five out of five stars and although um, I agree with a lot of what Nick said when it comes to things that he didn't like about this film, um, it didn't uh, change really my rating at all because I thought um, this was just done so well, um, especially portraying um, the true events of a person, um, which are stories that I usually enjoy and I think are, you know, fairly, um, fairly marketable um, in that way. Um, but yeah, as as far as like films that take place, especially in um, an era that, uh, you know, none of us have lived through, it's so cool to see how um, it translates to the screen. And I just, there's so much that I, I loved about this movie. I loved um, the performance from Rebecca Hall and frankly, the vast majority of the cast because I think everybody did a great job, but I think Rebecca Hall truly shines here. Um, and I just 
basically like every single thing that we got. And um, one thing I was very happy with is that this didn't feel like it was two full hours. I um, was looking forward to the next scene after the next scene after the next scene because I wanted to truly see what was next. Um, and I am just, I'm so happy that I finally got to watch this and talk about this with you guys um, because uh, this is a very sensitive issue to talk about, especially because uh, Christine Chubbuck's family, immediate family, she only has one of her brothers um, on this earth now. Everyone else has passed. Um, and I know um, the family was uh, super duper protective of the way her story was told. Um, but I think that this ended up, like the final product that we got, I thought was really, really great. Um, and I do appreciate uh, Nick's PSA at the end, um, where if uh, you are struggling with any sort of depression or anything else, do your research because this movie might not be for you. Um, but yeah, I just, I mentioned so much about what I like about this film. It's it's absolutely wonderful. I love Antonio Campos's directing style. I'm looking forward um, to what he does in the future. And frankly, I wanna see all of these actors in so many other roles because I think they're all, um, they're all so good. So uh, five out of five from me. Yeah, if you ever uh, sit down and watch 2014's Transcendence, you might change your mind about Rebecca Hall. Was she bad? <laughs> Me and Nick saw that in the theater, and I don't know if I've ever seen Nick as just detested by a movie. To be fair <laughs> to Rebecca Hall, I don't know what she could have done with that. But because uh, I'm a... I'm a whole, uh, Rebecca Hallholic. I mean, let me tell you. Uh, wait, what? <laughs> Isn't that what Johnny Depp transcended? It is. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. A vacuum I've never seen it. charisma. Oh, it's awful. <laughs> <laughs> Nick doesn't. The, the, you know, a movie is really, really bad when he won't even joke about it, being like, oh, it's pretty good. It's like, no, it's awful. Yeah, it's transcendently <laughs> bad. <laughs> what if AIs could take human form? Okay. I mean, I'm a, I'm a sci-fi junkie, so it's like I am not inherently against any of these kind of ridiculous premises. But uh, Wally Fister uh, was like, "Put me in, Coach. I got nothing to say." And uh, he hasn't been invited back. Nope. <laughs> Imagine jumping Nolan's ship to make Transcendence and then, like, looking back, like, ah, ah. <laughs> oh, man. He walks over to Nolan trying to get back in. He just stares at him like he's wearing a swastika. Just like, move on. Get yeah. away. Hey, Chris, what are you doing today? You want to get lunch? Ah, uh, no, man. I, I, I don't eat anymore. <laughs> I'm so grossed out by you. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. So, um, awesome to hear that, Anna, because I also give Christine a five out of five. Woo! Said, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
In this case, woo does mean hooray and not no, like what (laughs) Nick was saying. Yeah, I would hope not, because that would be an odd response. Uh, (laughs) But no, I'm a huge fan of this film, and I um, am definitely going to watch it with a little bit more of a critical eye the next time I sit down uh, to watch this, which hopefully will be less than four years from now. Um, But I really, really like this film. I think the actors in this are giving at least for me, the best performances they are able to give. And it's happening for a lot of actors in one film. And obviously that's up for debate by anybody. Uh, But for me, um, Antonio Campos brought out the best in his actors, did the best he could um, with a very delicate subject matter and definitely a, at least somewhat questionable script and then uh, navigated through to the to the end of the line so i was a big fan of christine five out of five woo woo <laughs> that was a no it's a woo okay. That's okay. you know what? that's very understandable just kidding because are you uh, woo <laughs> <laughs> oh boy well if you out there have any thoughts on the movie Christine, um, first, probably you should check it out because I'm sure almost all people haven't seen it. But And you should always send out all your thoughts to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. Also, you can find our episodes on filmtankshow.com or you can find us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify or other places uh, looking for Film Tank Show. So... From Annabelle to Zadu. Woo! <laughs> Nick Cheney. Nick Cheney. Woo! <laughs> and myself, Alex Diekman. Woo! <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to us here at Film Tank. We'll be catching up with you next time. Woo! Woo!